led as Jasmine was speaking to get our focus back. You helped Cleopas and his friend see you more clearly. Help us to see you more clearly today. Help us see you more clearly this week. Having come to this moment, we can see more clearly what you want us to do, who you want us to be, what you want us to say, how you want us to act. Help us see more clearly who you um, want us to be, Jesus, too, as your hands and feet. So I pray be with us. Thank you for this time, and thank you for your example, and thank you for walking with us in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you might turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to do our our final uh, sermon in the series, The Story Behind the Story. And this story in Luke 8 opens in a unique way. It opens with the words, about eight days after this. So it starts with this question, what happened eight days earlier? Before this story happens, what was so important that it was a marker that eight days had passed? Well, as you have Luke chapter 8 open in your Bibles, you can flip back just a few verses to verse 22, where Jesus had told them something profound. Jesus tells them in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He must be killed, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. So eight days after he tells them that, Jesus decides to take three of the disciples mountain climbing. Well, sort of. It says in Luke chapter 8, verse 28, about eight days later, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up on a mountain to pray. That's an interesting thing. And they go up on this mountain, and all of a sudden, something very unexpected happens. Jesus starts to glow. <laughs> I don't know if you've been around him. We, we sometimes say that pregnant mothers glow. I don't know if he's around glowing people. I haven't been around many glowing people. I had one time a lady having radiation surgery and, and some things, and I had to put on vestments of lead to go see her. But even she didn't glow. I thought she might, but she didn't. Jesus started to glow. Listen to what it says. Verse 29, as he was praying, that is Jesus, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Mark's mother or sister or, or maybe even Mark himself must have worked in a laundry because Mark writes this about that occasion. He says, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I don't know if he had a, an ad deal with Clorox or what, right? He was like, you couldn't make anything as bright as this was. It was incredible. So Jesus is doing something unique that's not normal. They've never seen Jesus do this before. And then this happened. Two men appear. Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, it says in verse 30, talking to Jesus. Whoa, wait a minute. Did he just say, Moses? There has to be more to this story. There has to be a story behind this story and there is, and it's a doozy. We've already talked about the story of Elijah, so we're not going to focus much on that, but let's just do a quick review this morning of the life of Moses. You know, Moses, his story is the one that was almost ended 
before it ever really got a chance to begin. You realize this, as we think about this idea, the story behind the story, as we think about our own life stories, there's this truth, isn't there? There's always someone or something out there that wants to wreck your story, that wants to wreck your life. At the beginning of Moses' life, it's Pharaoh. He tries to end it before it even gets a chance to begin. Exodus one twenty two says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now, there's a, <clears throat> there's a story behind that story, too. I can't get into all of it today, but you might research this sometime on your own, just as an aside. That how that this decree by Pharaoh actually gets undone, not by men, but by women. Everyone in this early part of the story who's a hero to help get this baby boy Moses born is a woman. There are the Hebrew uh, uh, ladies that come to help with the delivery of children, and they defy the Pharaoh's order. There's the mother of Moses, the sister of Moses, and his own daughter. They all undo this thing that Pharaoh's trying to do. But that's another story. We're focused on the story of Moses. And while it seemed that this might be the end of Moses' story, we already know this is just the beginning. Because what appears to be the end of your story is not always the end of your story. So for three months, he's hidden by his family. It tells us in Stephen's account in Acts chapter 7 verse 20, at the time Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. But they can't hide him forever. They can't protect him forever. They know that this rule of the Pharaoh has been passed down, and what's he going to do? And so there's this tragic moment in Exodus chapter 2, where his mother complies with Pharaoh's order. She places her baby in the river. It says in Exodus 2, 3 through 4, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him. She coated it with tar and pitch. She placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Why the sister? Because the mom can't bear to see what's going to happen. And what do we think is going to happen? The story seems likely to read, another Hebrew baby dies in the Nile as the Pharaoh's edict continues to be enforced. End of story, right? This is the Nile we're talking about, crocodiles and all manner of things that could kill you. No place for a baby in a basket. But you know, the end of the story just isn't always the end of the story. Somebody need to hear this. Your story doesn't have to end in tragedy. Your story doesn't have to end in disaster and ruin. It seemed like that was the story that Moses was going to live out, but that's not what happens because God can make a way when it seems there is no way. God can change the story. So instead of baby dies in river, the new headline reads, daughter defies dad's decree. And Pharaoh's daughter goes down to bathe, she, opens, she sees the basket, she opens the basket, she sees the baby, and it says in the Bible she felt sorry for him, Exodus 2. Then his sister 
that is Miriam, Moses' sister, asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went, got the baby's mother. Pharaoh said, take this baby, nurse him for me, I will pay you. And then when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. You know the story. Moses is saved. The child of slaves becomes a prince of Egypt. What an opportunity. What a great story. Things have changed. When he's in that place and he's there, it says in Acts chapter 7, Stephen says, when Moses was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him, brought him up as her own son, and Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was powerful in speech and action. He's being taught in the finest universities of the world. Moses is becoming quite the educated person, more educated likely than any other slave person in Egypt. It's incredible. But remember what we said. There's always someone or something out there trying to wreck our story. And sadly, sometimes we wreck our own stories. And then sometimes... God wrecks our story. You'll have to decide whether it was God or Moses who was behind the events that happened next in the story of Moses, the prince of Egypt, and as that story comes to an end. For Moses was involved in an incident that seems destined to derail his blessed life. Stephen tells us in Acts 7, verse 23, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people. He's lived there for 40 years as a prince of Egypt. When he's 40 years old, he decides to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense. He avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Now Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they didn't. Exodus 2.13 says the very next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. Moses asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said to him, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. He thought, what I did must have become known. It says in verse 15, when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses. So Moses runs for his life into the desert of Midian, 40 years old, probably thinking, this is it. This is the end. You don't come back from that. It was a good run, but it's over. And then he comes to this well, right? You know the next part of the story. I'm not going to read it. He comes to this well, like God provides an oasis for him, and he, he's going to live. As he's there to draw water, all of a sudden he sees these shepherds, these men, being mean to these female shepherdesses. I think that's how we say that word, or shepherdess. Yeah, that's probably right. Shepherdess. There we go. And um, he defends them, and they leave him there at the well. And they go back home, and they tell their dad, hey, this Egyptian guy saved us from these mean guys at the well today, and the dad's like, hey, get him to come over here. And so they go back, and, well, you kind of know the rest of the story. Moses goes back. His 
future father-in-law Jethro says, you know, I like you. You should stick around here. And he gives him one of his daughters in marriage, and he marries Zipporah. And the text tells us for a long time, for a long time he stayed there. The next chapter of his life reads Moses, husband. She gives birth to a son. It reads Moses, dad. He tends the sheep. His next story reads Moses, a shepherd. Not quite the gig he had in Egypt, but still, it's a living. He's there for a long time. Stephen tells us he's there for 40 years. For four decades, he's there doing those tasks. And then you know what happens, right? One day, after just kind of going through life and adapting to this new life, one day, while he's there, he sees that bush burning on the mountain that's not burned up. It's a curious thing. And what does he do? He goes to check it out. Now, when he goes to check it out, he has an unexpected event occur in his story. He comes face to face, if you will, with God. It's this moment where, where God is there and he is there and all of a sudden, everything is going to change. And listen to me, when God enters your story, things are going to change. And God does incredible things for Moses. He tells him a new name. Moses asks, who should I say is sending me? He says, tell them I am is. It's the first time he used that name for himself. It's a powerful name. He gives them an insight into who God is. He offers to give him some signs that will help him, a staff that could turn into a serpent, and then he picks it up and comes back into a staff, a hand that becomes leprous, some signs to prove that he really is from God. All those things are happening, and you would think after this moment, Moses would be like, yeah, God, I'm all in. But Moses... Sometimes Moses is his own worst enemy, just like we are. So we pick up the story. In, in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Exodus, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight? Who makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, I will teach you what to say. And then Moses does the most incredible thing. He says no to God. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Wow. I'd like to think that that's an isolated incident, but I suspect all of us at some point have said no to God. We knew God wanted us to do something, we just didn't want to do it. Or we knew God didn't want us to do it, but we really wanted to, so we did the thing he told us not to do. Like Moses, we said, hey, sorry God, but someone else can do your will, not me. That's what Moses was saying. And then this, this word appears in the text, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. That's a terrifying phrase. I, I hope that you don't ever experience the, the moment where the Lord's anger is burning against you. I hope I don't experience the moment where, the God, where, where God's anger is burning against me. The Lord's anger burned 
against Moses. But Moses, as he's there, God says to him, well, Moses, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? He can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. He'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him, put words into his mouth, and I will help both of you to speak. I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. It will be as if he were your mouth, as if you were God to him. And so it happens. Moses leads the people. For another 40 years, he's going to lead the people. I'm not going to go through the whole story with you right now of the plagues that happen when he goes to free the slaves from Pharaoh. You know those stories. You know how that it's the final one where the firstborn son dies in Egypt, that the Pharaoh finally relents and lets them leave. And you know the story, how that they get pushed and chased as, as they get permission to leave. Pharaoh wakes up one morning after that happens, and he says, oh my goodness, there's no one to bring me my chai latte in the morning for my morning beverage. All the slaves are gone. We've got to get the slaves back. So he mounts up his army, and they go charging after the Israelites. And here's the crazy thing, if you read the text, God has them out there doing circles in the desert, which is really kind of crazy, but it's all for God's purpose. And I could go a lot more into this, but sometimes when life seems like you're just going in circles and it doesn't make any sense, sometimes God might actually be in that. There might be a purpose in that. There was for the Israelites. It was actually a way that he lured Pharaoh into thinking, I've got them. They don't even know where they're going. So he chased them. And then he seemed to have them pinned up against the Red Sea. If you were to read the text there, you'd see that the people were all crying out, we should have gone back to Egypt, Moses, what'd you do? They were mad at Moses, mad at God, thought they were going to die. Seems like the end of the story, right? But the end of your story is not always the end of your story. So you know what happens. Moses is instructed by God to stretch out his arm over the, over the sea. They, he does so, the sea parts, they get off to safety. When the Egyptians pursue them, the sea closes back up, and they are free. They're free. I wish the rest of that story was great, but you know what will happen. They'll get to take some of the, the promised land. They'll send the spies out. They'll see it, right? Two people will come back and say, hey, we can do this. Ten will say we can't. The people will lament against God, and they'll want to go back to Egypt God says, hey, that's it. This generation is going to die away before you go in. And so for 40 more years, they languish in the wilderness. We just covered 120 years of time in about 12 minutes. And then this happens. The people are complaining they don't have enough to drink. And there's this event that will change the future of Moses' life. We read this story and it tells us in Deuteronomy, on the day that the Lord speaks to Moses, he says, go into the Abraham range of Mount Nebo and Moab, Moses, across from Jericho. Go and view Canaan, the land I am giving the Israelites, as their own possession. There on the mountain you have climbed, you will die. You'll be gathered to your people, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites, Moses, at the waters of Mirabar and Kadesh in the desert of Zin. You did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. 
Remember what he'd said? God had told him to go speak to a rock and water would come out, but he didn't do what God said. He says, Messiah be the one, and he slams his staff into a rock and water comes out, and God didn't get the glory, but Moses did. And at the end of his life, God says, that was a big enough thing. You don't get to go to the promised land. It's a hard blow to the story. This is the end. This is the end of his story. Moses is going to die on the mountain somewhere. We're not going to ever know where, except we know in this thing in Jude that, that there's going to be this battle between an angel and the devil about where the body of Moses was buried. That's a weird story. Go read it in Jude if you want to. But he's dead. End of the story, right? When you're dead, what's next? Right? There, there's no more to the story. It, it's over. You, you've done all that you could do. Moses is dead. He doesn't get to go to the promised land. He blew it. Did a lot of good things. But he also did enough that he didn't get to go into the promise. Except sometimes, even when you're dead, it's not the end of your story. So let's go back to Luke and let's finish up this morning. About eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him. He went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. Wait a minute. Moses and Elijah talked to Jesus about his departure? Moses' departure was mysterious up on a mountain. Elijah, who we talked about a few weeks ago, he went to heaven in a chariot of fire. They're going to talk to Jesus about his departure. We know what it was. He goes floating up in the clouds. They're like, okay, here's God's plan for your exit. This is how we're getting you out of there. That's what they talked about. Now, as this happened, he says this was so they could talk about what was about to bring the fulfillment of Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. They saw the two men standing with him. Standing? Moses wasn't just floating up in a cloud. His feet were standing in the promised land. Even when you're dead, God still can have more to your story. And Moses gets to stand in the promised land. That's amazing. And Elijah, who had gone up in a chariot thinking that was the last time he would be touching this earth, is standing once again there with them. And here's what's really cool. Moses isn't just in the promised land. He's standing with the promise, the Messiah. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter, said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I like what it says here. He didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> he didn't know what to do. I mean, we wouldn't either, would we? Like, if we're in the presence of Almighty God and we're in the presence of... By the way, how do they know it was Moses and Elijah? Do they have name tags on? But they knew. Somehow they knew while he was still speaking, all of a sudden God decides to speak. A cloud appeared. It covered them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. 
a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone, but they were with him. The end of our story doesn't have to be the end of our story. Even death is not the end of our story. Jesus had told them he's going to die. He has a, a couple of other conversations, right? The conversation he has where he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. He says, in my father's house there are many mansions. I'm going to go there to prepare a place for you that one day where I am you will also be. There's more to your story. Well, how will we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Friends, if Jesus is in your story, even death is not the end of the story. The question for us today is who are we letting write our story? Are we the author of our story? Or have we invited God into the story? Are we the one trying to make all the decisions? Or are we finally yielding as Moses did to his will? And saying, okay God, I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll go where you ask me to go. I'll say what you ask me to say. This morning we have an opportunity to accept the invitation of Jesus to a better story. And my hope for you is that Jesus Christ will become the story behind your story. If you have a decision to make, will you make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation together?